Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. I didn't, I didn't welcome you to Connection Point Church this morning, so glad you're here. Welcome to those joining us online. What a joy to know that we're all throughout the building this morning. I'm Pastor Zach. Shelly and I serve as lead pastors here. I felt like it'd be worth hearing from everyone in the building this morning. So prayer room, you're going to start us out. You know, it says in Scripture to make a joyful no- noise, right? So I would like to hear from the prayer room this morning. So on the count of three, I'd like to hear a woo! All right, prayer room, one, two, three. Now, some of you aren't in the prayer room this morning. You are the sanctuary. So let me specify. You're the sanctuary. If I'm pointing to you right now in person, prayer room's over here. Bethel Chapel's over here. Main Street is through those doors. So let's try that again. Nobody in here gets to yell. Prayer room. On the count of three, make a joyful noise. One, two, three. Hey, we heard him this morning. <laughs> That room's full of you this morning. All right, Bethel Chapel, you got to hear the warm-up. Bethel Chapel, make a joyful noise this morning. One, two, three. I feel like I should give prayer room a second chance. That was awesome, Bethel Chapel. Main Street, I'm not sure how many people we got out there. We're going to test them anyway. Main Street, make a joyful noise. Count three. One, two, three. Online campus, we won't hear you, but you can still make a joyful noise in your house. One, two, three, go. Crickets. Hey! <laughs> I love that we can be all together in one heart, one mind, one accord. We don't all have to be in the same spot. We're one church, and I'm glad that we can gather together in his name. Uh, you know, I felt like it'd be worthwhile this morning just to recognize some of the people in our community um, and the ways that they've served the community. You know, I know that a lot of our healthcare workers have not yet returned in person because they're trying to be careful in, in exposure with their job. But hey, if you're a healthcare worker, would you mind to stand this morning that we could just thank you for serving? Anybody here this morning in healthcare? Thank you for serving our communities and taking care. Yes. Yes, but thank you for serving. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and then we've got lots of educators. Okay, it's been interesting to serve as a teacher or a student, but hey, if you're involved in education as a teacher, an administrator, you could be public school, homeschool, university, would you mind to stand that we could just thank you for serving in education? Thank you. I know you guys have tried to navigate a lot of things. Yeah. She's not. I don't see DJ this morning. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) All right. Last group. If you've been a parent navigating life with kids during COVID, hey, stand to your feet. We want to thank you. (laughs) 
Parents, I tell you what, my, my oldest sister, so I've got two older sisters, a younger brother, and my oldest sister got married a little bit later in life, and, and uh, so she's got a third grader, and she shared on Facebook this week that, uh, you know, she, she was sending her daughter off to kindergarten, remembers that a couple of years ago, telling, you know, uh, her husband, Ryan, Ryan, walk her in, and this is my baby. She's like, now 159 days after COVID, I'm in line thinking, parents, get your kids out of the car. She's like, I'm 25 feet from the entrance, and I tell Skylar, you ready to go? Yep, see you later. She's like, I ran out of there like a woman on fire. <laughs> Different days for parents. <laughs> in February, I was a pastor, a father, a husband, and, and in March, I was still a pastor, a father, and husband, and became a teacher and a barber and an orthodontist, my least favorite one. I don't do teeth. I do not pull teeth in my household. I don't know. There's just something, you know, like our, our youngest just had a loose tooth the other day, and he was like pushing on it. I'm like, don't do that. It's just gross. So during the last couple of months, our daughter had a tooth that needed to come out, but it was attached to a bracket. So I called the orthodontist. I thought, surely they'll see her to take care of this. He's like, you can FaceTime me. I'll tell you what to do. He says, take fingernail clippers and clip the wire. Okay, fingernail clippers don't clip wires. I'm trying, no. So I go to the toolbox. I've got wire cutters. Those cut wires. A little big in the mouth, but it works. Interesting times we've been living in. But as I shared last week, one of the, the things it's allowed us to do, especially as a church, you know, we were closed, uh, the building was, was closed for about 16 weeks, is it allowed us to examine who are we in Christ and what is the church. And, and part of that is a very healthy thing to do because in the passage that we're going to get into today, we're going to see this Acts 2 community and the way that they functioned. And what is amazing to me in this Acts 2 community is they were a bulletproof church, a persecution-proof church. Nothing could stop this church. Pandemics couldn't end it. Roman emperors couldn't kill it. Nothing could stop it. And so then as we looked at this passage and continued to look at, well, what is the church? What we find in this passage is how do you have certainty as a church in uncertain times? That was the, the environment the early church thrived in. If you know history, the Roman Empire, and you study some of those years, things were not great, especially for the church, but yet they thrived. So if they can thrive in that environment, I think we should be able to thrive in any environment too, right? Amen. Amen. And so what I want us to do is look at this passage, maybe with fresh eyes, to see what is the church. With the understanding, if we get back to that church and who that church is and was and is meant to be today, I firmly believe the greatest days for the church are yet ahead, especially as we look at what God is doing in the world today. There's been lots of questions about what, what's happening in the world today, and, and I think people have been pretty unsettled. And, and so what my hope is today is to fill you with a hope-filled future for where things are headed. That doesn't mean things will be perfect. It doesn't mean things will be safe by our standards. But what I can tell you is they will be good because God's on the throne and he's in charge. And we just need to get behind what he's doing. So long as we're on God's side, we're good. And we just want to make sure that we're there. So if you have your Bibles, 
hey, I hope you do. I hope you've got God's word with you today. I hope you have it with you in the prayer room in Bethel Chapel. Hope you have it at home. Good news is, if you don't have it, you can go find it if you're at home. All right, Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 41 this morning. I'm actually going to overlap with last week's passage. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We do that just to kind of draw a special emphasis to these are God's words to us. And so we don't take that for granted. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, going through verse 47. And Luke writes, So those who received his word, the people who received Peter's message that we shared last week, they were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves. So although there's sometimes a break in our our passage in Scripture, there's no break in the early text. It just goes from 3,000 added, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day... Attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What an awesome verse. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So last week and the passage before this one, we, we focused on Christianity is Christ. Over and over, Peter says this phrase, this Jesus. And and he talks about this Jesus who who was died and buried and rose again and who was seen by all of them. And then he ascended to the right hand of God. And so this Jesus is who we worship. This Jesus is what Christianity is all about. And, And if we can reduce Christianity to that, then we know that we're good because anything else that we add to it can be taken from it. So the, the focus was Christianity is Christ. And, and then the question comes, well, then what is the church? And, and what's really great is Peter preaches that message and explains what Christianity is. But then what we see in the passage that follows is what the church is. And so what I'd like to do this morning is simply answer the question of what is the church? What is the church? And the first thing that we find is that the church is people. The church is people. Look at this verse. This is why I started with verse 41. It says, those who received his word, Peter's word. Who are the those? That's the question because it's those who become the church. And the those are the people who were there at the temple area for the day of Pentecost, that festival, that that celebration. In other words, the those was people. The church is people. Jesus When he uses the word church, he only uses it two times in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the book of Matthew, chapter 16, he says, I will build my church, is how we translate it, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church and nothing will stop it. That's what he's saying. And he says in 18, he continues to use that same word. And and the word that he uses, so the New Testament is written in Greek, It's ecclesia. And this word, where does it come from? It actually means an assembly of people. That's how it was used. So an assembly of people. So what he's saying is, I will build together this assembly of people that cannot be stopped, that will advance my kingdom in the world in which they live. 
That's what he's referring to. And so then the question is, well, where did we get the translation church from? Because really, wouldn't that be better? I will build my assembly of people and the gates of hell won't advance. That's a good translation. And, but somewhere the word church got involved and church got attached to buildings. And where that comes from is in 313, Constantine uh, legalizes Christianity. Shortly thereafter, Christianity becomes popular and, and more people are, are gathering and saying that they want to become a Christian too. And, and so then what happens is they start using buildings or basilicas is what they initially were, basilicas, buildings to meet as gathering places. And what happened is, is then they, that eventually the word basilica in, the, in, in German gets translated as kurika or becomes kirche, which is church. And, and so we got this word church attached to a building, basilica, but that wasn't until 300 years after Christianity first started. In fact, this word got so hard ingrained into Christian culture, what happened is some early and ancient texts, so, so Greek and Hebrew texts got into the hands of reformers And when they were looking at the ancient Greek, they began to see some of the words we've translated, we didn't translate very well. We could translate those better. So what happened is a guy named William Tyndale, what he started to do is he went to the ancient text, the Hebrew text, the Greek text, and he began to translate into English these verses. And and so he retranslated church into congregation. That's a pretty good word, congregation, because it's a group of people. He, He changed the word penance to repent, which is to change your mindsets to turn from your ways. He, he changed the word priest to elder. So he began to translate more closely what God intended in the text. Instead of it being a, a high class of people, a hierarchical structure with buildings in a specific location, no, it was meant to be a movement of people that are continually advancing the kingdom of God in the world in which they live. And so Tyndale captured that. And do you want to know how the, the church thanked him? They hunted him down for 10 years. So he was in hiding, translating into English, getting these scriptures into the hands of the everyday man. And so they hunt him down. Finally, 10 years later, some soldiers find him. They arrest him. They try him. They tie him to a beam, choke him, kill him, burn him, and scatter his ashes. Nice church, right? But the challenge was what Tyndale was trying to do was trying to help us better understand what the church is. And so we can be thankful for that work today. But what's interesting is, and why would you share that story about Tyndale? Well, because I want you to understand how ingrained the idea that the church is a building is in our hearts too. But we need to get away from that understanding. We need to understand the church is people. And that's why I said when we closed the building back in March, the church never closed. The church was always advancing and can always advance in any society. Is it great to gather? Absolutely. Isn't it awesome to be all together today? I told you it's heavenly and we want to gather in Jesus's name and worship him and still keep him at the center of all things. But let us never forget that the church is people. But as we look at our passage, the question is, well, what kind of people? And the first thing we see is the church is a diverse group of people. There's diversity right from the very beginning. How do I know this? Because as you look at this passage, it says, so those, now, who are those We go uh, back into chapter two a little bit further, going to verse five. It says, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. That's a variety of people. And then they list them. It says, Parthenians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Pergia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, 
Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. That's the those, the 3,000 who were saved and baptized that day. From the very beginning, diversity was a very important part of the church. And this is part of what I love about Connection Point Church. Because of the community in which we live, and the university that's here, in this church sit people from different racial backgrounds. Black and white and Latino. Different nations. I love that. Different socioeconomic backgrounds. Different professions. Farmers and university faculty. The church was always meant to be diverse because there's richness in diversity. Shelly and I have traveled a lot, been to the continent of Africa and Europe and Latin America and Asia. And, and part of how I know God intends diversity, it's actually hardwired into our hearts. Because anytime that I travel and travel with others or go and talk with people who have traveled, what do they share with me? They don't show me pictures of those things that are just like home. They show me pictures of things that are nothing like home, right? There is something hardwired in us that appreciates diversity, and God gave us that. So I'm thankful that we can be a diverse church, and if we're meant to be a, to be a healthy church, we must be a diverse church. But there's actually something more to that. There's something more to diversity. What we find is the church was also inclusive. So you can be diverse without being inclusive. How many know that? And so the, the challenge is, how do we become both diverse and inclusive? And what we find for the early church is they were inclusive. If you go to Acts chapter 13, so I'm just going to continue to stay in the same book. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manion, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Let me talk about this group of people. Barnabas. Barnabas from Cyprus, from the tribe of Levi, so Jewish background. Simeon, who was called Niger. If you go to the New Living Translation, it says Simeon, the black man. That's what Niger means. In other words, this Simeon was of African descent. Lucius of Cyrene. Lucius, you want to know where Cyrene was? Cy Cyrene was an ancient Greek city in Libya. He's Libyan. So there's a Libyan there in the church in Antioch. And then Manion, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. When you look at the lifelong friend, what it actually meant was a foster brother. So Herod the Tetrarch, the man who beheaded John the Baptist, his lifelong friend, his foster brother, was in the church in Antioch. Isn't that amazing? And then Saul. Saul from Tarsus, modern-day Turkey. So was there diversity and inclusion in the early church? Absolutely. But one of the things I'd like to point out is it didn't start that way. It didn't start that way. Because now I want to take a look at Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, what we find in, I'm not going to read the whole passage. If you'd like to do so later, it's a great passage. And what we find is at Caesarea, there's a man named Cornelius, a centurion. It says he's a God-fearing man. And God tells him, tells Cornelius, go send someone to Joppa. I have a man there who's staying with Simon the Tanner. Go tell him to come and tell you about this person, about Jesus. And so uh, the centurion sends his, some of his uh, own soldiers or his family to go and, and get Peter who he's going to go after. And while these people are en route, Peter, he is sitting in Joppa on the coast, and he's on this rooftop. He's having some time with Jesus. And God drops this sheet down of unclean animals, and, and God tells Peter in a voice, he says, 
Peter, kill and eat. But he knows, as a Jew, I shouldn't eat these unclean animals. And so I love this phrase. Peter says, no, Lord. Okay, two words you can't put together. You can't say no if he's Lord, right? But that's Peter. No, Lord. And so what happens out of this vision is Peter understands, well, something's going on here. I've seen this vision, and the Lord tells him a couple of times. And, and then what happens is, is these Peter from Cornelius' household, they come and they say, we're called to come and get you. And, and so Peter says, well, I will go with you. And so they travel to Caesarea by the sea, where Cornelius' household is. And, and when he gets to Cornelius' household, Cornelius tells him about how God told him to send for Peter. And Peter says, well, then let me preach to you. And so what happens is, as Peter preaches in verse 34, he says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That was a new revelation. Anyone who fears him and does what is right. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. And eventually then what happens in verse 43, it says, And to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins, through his name. He says everyone. And here's what happens in verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And so then they're baptized. So what happens is Gentiles are finally welcomed into the early church. But what I'd like to share with you this morning is the time frame by which that occurred. Because although there was diversity in the early church, if you read the text in Acts 2, it shows that all of those nations, they were all of Jewish background. So if they were from Arabia and Pamphylia and Phrygia and all of these places, they all were of Jewish background. So the Gentiles had not been yet welcomed into the church. How many years do you think it was from Peter preaching at the South Steps to receiving this vision that Gentiles are welcomed into the church? What do you think? Two years. 30 years. 10 years. For 10 years, the early church did not include Gentiles. And as you read through New Testament scriptures, what you find is they struggled with it for a long time. Paul eventually writes the, the people in the church in Galatia to say and basically rebukes Peter for his unwillingness later to not eat with uncircumcised believers, the Gentiles. So I share with you this morning, the history of the church, although it has been diverse, it has struggled with inclusion for a very long time. It just has. The origin of this church, we are part of the Assemblies of God, William Seymour on Azusa Street, early 1900s, African-American man preaches. That church was pretty diverse, but not too long after, what we find is churches became either more predominantly white or predominantly black. Actually, there was a split even in the names of the churches. So there's this history we have of being diverse, but not necessarily inclusive. And so I would say for us, as we celebrate returning and coming together in diversity, may we take the challenge to learn to become more inclusive. How many think that that's an area of growth for us that we should go after? And I share that with you to say, well, what about our church? How do you know that our church isn't very inclusive? Because I've had people in our church tell me. So I don't want to hear those statements. I want to hear statements of, I can't believe how ongoingly welcoming this church is, that they welcome me into our homes, not just in our buildings. 
That's what inclusion looks like. So I guess what I'd like to put before you this morning is if you don't have a relationship with someone who does not look like you, you need to. You need to invite them over to your house. I know right now it's hard to do meals, but like today it's going to be nice weather. It's going to be a good day outside. Why not go through a drive-thru and, and eat at a park together? If you're not intentional, then you're going to miss the opportunity we have to be inclusive and, and I would say enrich your life with the diversity that's already among us. So Lord, help us to be diverse and inclusive because a healthy church is people who are diverse and inclusive. But then the next point we'll see in what we find in Christian history, it was also a church that multiplied. The church, it multiplies, which is an awesome thing. So what we find for the early church is it says the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, so it starts with addition. But as you keep reading through Acts, you'll find it turns into multiplication, which is an amazing thing. So the early church, what starts as, so let's say the, the population, as they look at uh, records of population, Rodney Stark has a great book on the rise of Christianity. He's a sociologist. And part of what we find for Rodney is he, he lays out for us what we know is good records of population at the time. And, and so the population for the first couple hundred years when the church is forming, it's around 60 million people. And it, the church starts out pretty small, like 0.00001% of the population. But what happens over the course of the next 250 years is it grows to become 10% of the population, 6 million people. And I want you to consider this is amidst persecution, people uh, having businesses closed, if you become a follower of Jesus, um, people who are, who are treated terribly, but yet the church flourished. Why? Because the church is meant to multiply. This is church history for us. It's meant to multiply. It's meant to have this exponential growth to it because God's kingdom was always meant to advance. God's will, we find in scripture, says that none should perish. That's his heart. So how are we helping to achieve that heart today? It's meant to be a church that multiplies. But there's something interesting that happens. So while the church is being persecuted, what happens is 311 AD, Emperor Galerius in Rome, what he realizes is now that they're 10% of the population, it is now inconvenient to persecute the Christian church. It's inconvenient. So then he says, all right, you don't, I'm not gonna try to force you to pray to Roman gods. That hasn't worked for a couple hundred years now. So you can pray to your God, but I would ask that you pray and pray for the state. So that's what he kind of gives them that permission. And then in 313, Constantine legalizes Christianity. They can openly practice Christianity. But something interesting happens is, is Constantine then says, well, I'm going to become a Christian, which was unheard of, a Roman emperor, a Christian. We were trying to kill these people, and now our leader has become one. And so then what happens, though, is Christianity becomes popular. And so then Romans all across the empire start to enter into Christian communities and so there's this initial burst in Christian population, 50% of the world. So 30 million people become Christians. But what happens is, is the message gets diluted. Because all of these Romans were coming out of the, the worship of Roman gods, and, and they brought with them the burning of incense and hierarchical structures and, and pageantry and, and all of these things that were unheard of in Christian communities that were very simple, centered around these love feasts. And so as the message gets diluted, what eventually happens with Christian population is it dips back down to 30%, and we've stayed there to this day. So I guess what I'd like to put before you this morning, although I'm tired of this phrase, flatten the curve, right? But I'm telling you, the enemy flattened the curve of Christianity, and it has never recovered. And I wonder if part of what God is doing in the church today, right now, 
as church buildings were closed. We talked, we had a series on a great awakening and things that God's doing in the church today is he's trying to bring us back to the basics of these loving Christian communities that multiply and grow exponentially without limits. And I think he wants us maybe to approach things a little bit differently than we have in the past. Because while the church has been declining in America, that's not God's heart. Because we know his heart's none should perish. So then how do we get back to the basics of following after the heart of God, living well in community, and multiplying? That's the question. And I guess what I'd like to share with you this morning, some hopefulness, is as you look at conditions in the world today, sociologists have remarked that we've shifted from an industrial age to an information age, and now we're transitioning to a network age. And this network age means that all of us in this room this morning and all of us in prayer room in Bethel Chapel visiting online, all of us are connected to networks outside of this building. And I want to liken that to the day when Jesus came 2,000 years ago. Have you asked yourself the question, why did Jesus come when he did and where he did? Do you think God had a definite plan? Yes. He came when he did and where he did because there was a technology called the Roman roads. What Rome meant to advance the Roman Empire, God turns into an opportunity to advance the kingdom of God in the ancient world. And I really feel like we're standing on this precipice as we transition to this network world that we are greater connected than we've ever been. And what could God do if he let a, set a church on fire anywhere in the world and it could touch the rest of the world in moments? And how do I know this? Because who knew what Wuhan was last October? Not very many, right? But everybody knows it today. And I just wonder, and who could know who what West Lafayette is because God sets a church on fire in his name. We are connected, better connected than we've ever been, primed for a move of God. And part of the other reason I know this is because crisis precedes awakenings. How many recognize we're living in a world that's in a bit of crisis right now? I will say this, I'm not sure that we've yet achieved the level of crisis that we're yet to see. And I don't see it as, as to share the bad news, but I share that to say God will do what he has to do to bring the world unto himself. And if people need to come to the end of themselves to realize I don't have what it takes, I think God will do it because he wants to go after people's hearts. So I believe we're sitting in a time better connected than we've ever been. Sitting in a time where crisis precedes awakenings. And I just wonder if we as the church could go back to those Acts 2 communities who multiply beyond measure without restrictions, if we could get back to that, if God wouldn't do something extraordinary today. I believe he wants to do it. And if you've been a part of this church the last couple of years, you know our heart has been to go after that. People who live in mentoring groups people who are emotionally healthy, people who understand disciple-making movements. We've talked about all those things. So I believe that this church is primed and ready to multiply and reproduce. I firmly believe the greatest days for this church are yet ahead of it because of what God's been doing here and what God is doing in the world. I can't wait for this year to unfold. No matter what comes, as long as we have Christianity and as long as we have the church, as long as we have Christ and the church, we're good. And we need to be confident in that today. The church is a diverse and inclusive, multiplying people. And the last thing, the summary I'm going to give you is that the church is community. The church is community. And that will be our mantra this year, that Christianity is Christ and the church is community. And if we get back to those two truths, watch to see what God does. Watch to see what he does. So one of the adjustments that we're making this year at Connection Point Church, we typically have done connect groups 
for discipleship pathways. And I, I believe there's a great reason for continuing to do that on some level, but I just don't think that's this year. What we want to do this year, and we're going to talk about it a lot next month, is launch life groups. Life groups where we get you, as you self-select, to be within a group of people for the next year, journeying together like these Acts 2 communities with glad and generous hearts. My prayer is, is that whatever day that you meet, that that becomes your best day of the week. That you gather with your life group, that these people are people you do life with, that we can gather together and celebrate on a Sunday what's happening throughout the week. So I'm not going to give a lot of information right now because we're doing life group leader training. I just want to put that before you now so you understand where we're headed, that we want to go back to Christianity is Christ and the church is community, and you're invited to be a part of that. And I would say this, if you have felt like you're on unsteady ground the last few months, if you want to firm up that foundation, be here on a Sunday or join us online on a Sunday and jump in a life group so you've got close community with others. Because if all you have is looking forward, but you're not face-to-face, you're missing something. You're missing something. The church is so much more than that. The church is community, and you're meant to live in that community. So we're going to launch those groups the the first week of October. We'll start talking about those on September 20th for signups. You're invited to be a part of that because we want to help you have certainty in uncertain times. Because if we get into life groups... No matter what happens over the course of the next year, that life group can be steady in your life and will continue to teach on a Sunday. We can do that in person or online. Nothing can stop the advancement of God's church. Nothing. And we need to be that kind of church. So my encouragement is dive in. Be here. When life group sign-up occurs, jump on board and sign up. Jump into a group that will help you grow in God, support you in tough times, and help move you forward in your walk with Jesus and help you to be confident in your faith, because we can have faith in God. The, the one class we're going to start earlier, because we didn't want to leave uh, people out who want to become members of the church, so on September the 13th, Sunday, September 13th, we are going to go ahead and start our membership class. It runs for 11 weeks, so if you're interested in becoming a member of this church, which is to basically say, I want to link arms with you and live on mission with you, if you're interested in being a part of our membership class, you can sign up online at connectionpointchurch.org. You can sign up at the Main Street Theater. When you leave here today, there's a sign-up sheet. We're going to have that in the city room on Sunday mornings from 8.30 till 10, so it'll be right before this service. So you would just have a little bit longer Sunday morning here. If you want to be a member, we don't want to hold you back from that. So membership class starts on September 13th. Life groups will start the first week of October. Christianity is what? Christianity is Christ. And the church is what? Community. Those need to become our mantras this year because those are stable. Those are certain and uncertain times. I'm going to invite you to stand as we dismiss this morning. Thank you for being here both in person and online. Before I give a dismissal and a blessing, because I want to bless you as you go, we obviously want to avoid all being on Main Street at the same time. So I'd encourage you to visit with people in the sanctuary, visit with people in the prayer room, visit with people in Bethel Chapel, visit with people in the parking lot. We have lots of property here. So feel free to space out, but enjoy Christian fellowship. Get to know those that don't look like you. Your life will be better because of it. Mine has been and continues to be. And as you leave from this place, may the Lord bless you and keep you. That word keep you means protect you. May the Lord protect you. May the Lord show you his mercy and be gracious to you and fill you with his peace. Amen. Go with God today.